So there were some really fun rides over in that Carnival of Souls. What do you think you would have been into? Um, hmm. I mean, I, I always liked the bumper cars. Any so any anything that involves you know on those old carnival yeah anything on those uh, in those old carnivals usually has like it's like a, a high contact sport <laughs> instead of a ride uh, I probably would definitely be I, I definitely would be the the guy who's in line for whatever involves hitting anyone else with anything I can get. <laughs> Did you ever get on those carnival rides where they just put you inside of a spinning room and the G-forces press you against the wall? Yeah. How are we ever allowed to do that? I I, I can definitely remember, I don't think anybody would wear seatbelts or anything or... or yeah, they just had just... a little chain. <laughs> like, just a little chain about... I don't know, waist high for an adult, <laughs> but for a kid, just like head high, just like, yeah, it, just don't let go. <laughs> that was their <laughs> advice. Yeah, yeah I remember go. that. I remember that. I, I would have wanted to go down that mattress slide. Uh, that that yeah. seems like a distinctly 1962 or before carnival attraction. There were no mattress slides right. at any of the carnivals that I've been to. Yeah, that would um, that would kind of be gross if you if you were one of the last people to go on that ride for the day. Oh God, I didn't Ooh. even think about that. <laughs> That's the real horror. <laughs> All right, let's start this carnival. Let's do it. Oregon. Uh, this is Necromancer. Necromancer. My name is Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. My name is Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. Each week on Necromancer, we pick a theme, Brett picks a horror, I pick a rom-com, and then we flip-flop those movies and remix them in the other genre. We turn the horror into a rom-com, and the rom-com into a horror. This week, we are continuing our theme of 1962, despite Brett's clear regrets that I didn't choose another theme to go with Carnival of Souls. Uh, Before we go ahead, why don't you rattle off what themes you would have preferred? Ghosts, afterlife, um, Carnival? (laughs) Yeah, so... Um, ghosts, I, I, I thought this was a, um, an anthology movie. <laughs> oh, you didn't know what this movie was about? I, I should I have warned you. No I idea. saw, I saw this movie before, but I actually fell asleep during the movie the first okay. time I watched it. That makes sense. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I thought this was a, um, uh, an anthology movie for whatever reason. I don't know why, um, but like a Twilight Zoney, like mm-hmm. I, I knew this had a Twilight Zoney feel. So I figured this it's was going to be a, a sort of, 
yeah, I figured this would have a sort of feel of like, I guess not be careful what you wish for, but yeah, like the Carnival of Souls. Yeah, like she was dead the whole time. Like, I, I don't know. I thought that that could be a theme of some sort. But you thought yeah. we'd get get some more Carnival denizens? I did. I did think that Carnival was a very tantalizing option <laughs> for, mm. I, I thought that there'd probably be a lot of rom-coms that have something to do with Carnival. But. Do you think you got confused because there is an anime anthology film that I don't know, I think it might be called Robot Carnival or something like that, where it's a bunch of vignettes having to do with robots and androids. That's a really cool movie. No, I did not know that existed, but that sounds like something I'd like. <laughs> um no, I don't know. I just this this has always been on my list since we very first started the podcast. Carnival of Souls has been on the list of like I hear about this movie, I want to check it out. Probably the best recommendation I had for this movie was from I don't know what podcast I was listening to, but it was from Dana Gould of all people. Oh. <laughs> he was like, "I love Carnival of Souls. This movie's great." Blah 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 blah. And I was like, "Wow, it was interesting to hear Dana Gould talk about a comedian who is funny." and I like talk about this horror movie. Cause he could have talked about any, it, what they weren't asking him about horror movies. It was just kind of like, name something you like carnival of souls. Like why? Cause it's a good movie. Okay. So, it has a good moment. Like this is another movie for me that didn't quite work. Like I, I think I was right the first time when I fell asleep <laughs> And and not not much changed between <laughs> the first viewing um, and the second viewing, except my eyes were open this time instead of the movie watching me. I mean, there's a lot of fourth wall breaking stairs, so I'm sure that the movie yeah. watched me quite <laughs> intently uh, while I was sleeping the first time. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I wrote down, like, there are some parts of this movie where I thought, you know, cinematically, visually, this is really clever, or I like this as a device, um, but I was still kind of bored with it. Uh, what about you? Uh, I mean, overall, my thoughts on the movie are kind of the same. Probably, uh, you liked, you were probably more, um... I don't know. I guess you 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 hated Touch. I was going to say you probably liked Touch of Mink more than I did, but that's not true. <laughs> you, I think you hated that movie more than I did. Um, probably. You you seemed less offended by Touch of Mink than I was. Yeah, I think I was definitely a little more generous on Carnival of Souls. Um, I, I wanted to like it, which uh, definitely helps me get in that mindset of like you know, kind of giving it some some. Um, some leeway there but uh this is clearly a labor of love movie this is not this is not your this is not touch of mink which probably had way too much money thrown at it versus this movie which you know nobody cared about it uh until it was out there yeah um I, I thought, ah, oh, geez, I thought that I saw like a quote from a, a reviewer or something that I thought perfectly summed up what I thought. But uh, uh, the general consensus pretty much seems to be this is a pretty cool low budget movie, but that's all it really is. Like it, it can, ne it never really 
transcends the 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 low budgetness restrictions that it has. Um, I feel like this is the kind of movie that you see referenced in other movies all the time. Like characters yeah. in a movie will be watching Carnival of Souls. Uh, because it makes a good movie within a movie with the organ music and, you know, right. you can flash a few of the images and make it compelling without having to bore yourself with the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, but it did give me that sort of Sam Raimi, George Romero, like like Dawn of the Dead and Evil Dead are these two movies or Night of the Living Dead and Evil Dead are these two movies that really did feel like these two people who had no idea how to make a movie just getting it done. And this movie feels like a guy who knows how to make a movie. Uh, but he's just, he has no money to make it. Because uh, the guy who the guy who made this movie, I looked him up, and he's he's done a lot of industry type work. He's done a lot of educational video type stuff, and a lot of TV work, and a lot of programming education stuff. So this guy knows how to get a crew together and and set up a shot and film something. The movie is really technically clean as far as like it doesn't have a low, like when I say this movie doesn't have a lot of budget, it doesn't feel low budget in that crappy hamstrung. We're just making it up as we go along kind of way. It's more like, no, we have just enough money to get this vision correct. And I feel feel like, uh, uh, some movies are very polished and this movie doesn't feel polished at all. This movie does feel very guerrilla film style. Like we can, we can shoot this here on the move. Then we'll just record the sound later. Cause that'll be more effective anyway, when it comes to conveying the atmosphere, like, but it just, I, there's something about it that feels the whole movie feels sloppy, but it feels sloppy <laughs> in a, in a good way it feels sloppy in that way that says like this isn't how you're supposed to do this this is how we want to do this um i don't know i mean i I didn't necessarily get that feeling from it i would agree with you that i don't think the movie is polished um but i think that it's clean as far as you know being economical having some pretty interesting visual moments Uh, and pretty much doing exactly what it's set out to do. Yeah. But maybe that's a problem if a movie isn't, you know, reaching beyond what it initially set out to do. It's not really necessarily doing much of anything that's too innovative. No, I think, I don't know. I think I just felt some of the behind the scenes stuff more. I think, like, I do think this is a filmmaker's film. Oh, totally. For sure. Say, like, it made me think of phase four when, like, I could see people referencing Carnival of Souls and being like, yeah, the, the fast zombies in 28 Days Later made me think of Carnival of Souls. And, yeah, I could they, see that. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of, that kind of thing. Um, but I could feel a lot of, like, I could feel a lot of the sound at work. I could feel a lot of the ADR and the, the editing 
and sometimes the editing was really good and crisp and clean but sometimes it just it was weird and sometimes it was weird in a good way and sometimes it was just weird i think that it was weird intentionally though i think that the editing in this movie is meant to make you feel like there are lost there's lost time like right but that's why some of it is about lost time but yeah it yeah it's um I don't know. I guess yeah, we should get into it cuz All right, let's yeah. let's get into it. So, Mary Henry is riding in a car with um it, they seem like they're her friends, but then later Mary's like, "I don't have any friends." Right. Um so maybe. Um and then these ladies decide they want to get into a drag race. Uh, and then during the race, they go over this bridge that's under construction, and the men in the other car clearly nudge them off the bridge. But of course, later when questioned, they were like, "I don't know, they just went over." Oh no, they they were they. It was egregious. Um, but three hours after the car plunges into the muddy waters below, Mary Henry emerges and can't really remember how she survived. Um, but immediately she's like, I'm getting the hell out of here. She's got a job in Utah as a church organist. And so, you know, we never get a sense of whether or not Mary is upset that her friends are dead or has any kind of survivor's guilt. You know, she just, she's just going. Um, I mean, well, you could, you could argue that every, like we've already, as soon as Mary comes out of the water, we've essentially crossed into unreality. Um, But so Mary moves, um, and while she's driving, um, her radio starts playing this strange organ music and she can't change the channel. It's on every channel. And then she looks out her car window and sees this pasty faced man, um, the man. Uh, and then she also sees this abandoned pavilion that she's just really drawn to, um, And then uh, she learns that the pavilion used to be a bathhouse and then it was a dance hall and then it was a carnival before it closed down permanently. Mary goes to the room she's rented. I did really like when he points at the place where her, her boarding house is and the camera moves with his pointing and then directly transitions into her opening the door to her room. That was a good lost time editing moment. That I specifically wrote that one down too. Also the, the car starting the car and the organ cut like, yeah, that was, that was freaking top notch, man. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. 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 No, I th- I thought that that worked. That really, really worked. Um, so, yeah, she meets the lady who owns the boarding house. She tells Mary, you can take all the baths you want. <laughs> um, and we also learn that there is another boarder. Um, Mary goes to the church. She meets the minister. They love it when she plays the organ and they're like, ah, oh, 
to have somebody playing with such soul jokes on you. Mary's not religious and this is just a job for her. (laughs) Um, So with the minister, she takes a ride out to the pavilion. He needs to make a phone call next to the lake. It it doesn't make sense, but we got to get Mary to the pavilion. Um, The minister stops her from going inside saying, you know, it's all, it's barred off. Don't go in there, but she's going in there. Mm -hmm. Um, so she returns to the lodging house. She meets Lyndon, the other guy who is just so sleazy and so obvious about wanting to have sex with her and peeping on her while she's changing. And there's more sexuality in that peeping scene than there is in the entire runtime of that touch of mink. Yeah. Um, but um, she... She's just not interested, and and we learn Mary's kind of just not interested in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So she then sees the man downstairs, and she gets really freaked out. But the the proprietor tells her, hey, I didn't see anyone. So it seems like only Mary is seeing this guy. Uh, And then she goes the next day to go shopping, and as she... uh, leaves the dressing room she experiences this reverie where she can no longer hear anything and no one can see her so she she freaks out um she leaves the store she goes to this water fountain she thinks that the man is right next to her but it's actually a stranger so she freaks out and runs into the arms of a doctor um, who tries to help her, even though he admits that he's not a psychiatrist. Uh, and then Mary, uh, she goes. She goes to practice at the at the church, um, and she tells uh, Lyndon that he can meet her afterwards. Um, but as she's practicing, she starts to, it, it seems like she looks at her hands and then her hands start playing on their own, I think is, is what we're meant to think from this moment. And then when she is playing this strange music, this carnival music, she imagines seeing the man and ghosts dancing in the pavilion. And I liked it because it reminded me of, have you ever been to a Disney theme park and done the, the haunted mansion ride? Yeah, that's it exactly was, what it is. Yeah. It was very haunted mansion ride. And I, the haunted mansion is my favorite ride hands down. Uh, and so I, I loved that part. And then of course the man walks right up to the camera and gives us a nice big spooky. Um, And Mary is snapped out of it by the minister who's like sacrilege, profane. I I like that he just said those words. Do you have no reverence? (laughs) (laughs) Which she doesn't. Um, So she gets, she, she gets fired before her first day on the job. Um, so she's freaked out. She agrees to go out to out on a date with Lyndon, even though he's just a douchebag. Uh, and he's just, well, I think it's, it's clear at this point that she's only going out with him so that she's not alone because she's having a complete nervous breakdown. (laughs) 
Right. This is, you know, I feel like these movies, if we're going to make a link between Carnival and Souls and that touch of mink, it's this idea that men are completely incapable of understanding when the woman they're trying to have sex with is having a meltdown crisis. Uh, and I mean, thankfully, in the last 50 years, it sounds like we've we've fixed that bug. <laughs> Uh, and men are actually capable and have the capacity to uh, understand emotion. Um, but in 1962, we just, we weren't there yet. Um, so he just wants to get busy. She's like, I'm terrified of being alone. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to Mary's apartment. John tries to seal the deal. Um And then she sees the man in the mirror and then starts to freak out, which makes Lyndon say, I'm out of here. This is too crazy for me. And then she just spends the whole night moving things around and worrying about the man coming after her. Um, so then <laughs> this scene actually made me want to laugh. We, we cut to her going to the doctors and of course, his back is turned to her, mm-hmm. and she's like, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. Uh, and then, of course, his chair turns, and it's the man. Gotcha. Um, so she <laughs> she just uh, she runs away. She's now going to escape. She wants to, to leave town by bus. Um, But then it happens again and suddenly she's invisible and she can't hear anything except she does hear a call to get on a bus uh, at the end of the line, but the bus is filled with ghosts. So now she can't get on the bus. So she runs away. Um, And then I think um, she realizes that she's having a nightmare and she wakes up in her car in the auto shop uh, and then thinks she got away with it. Now she can drive away. Mm-hmm. Um, but after, after, after she tries to leave town, um, I think she still ends up at the pavilion. Um, she's still drawn back there. Yeah. And then she realizes that there is a ghost version of herself dancing with the man. She freaks out over this. She starts running away. They go 28 days later and start mm-hmm. chasing her, but they're having a grand old time. I, I, I thought it was sufficiently spooky to have them full speed chase her and also be giggling at the same time. You know, this is all a game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the giggling was like on purpose, but it definitely felt like like having grown-ups act like how little kids would act if they were scary monsters. <laughs> <laughs> like they were all like wobbling and running with their hands up and like we're going to get you like tickle monsters. They were all a bunch of tickle monsters. Yeah, they I think that's exactly what happened because she falls on the beach and they all crowd over her, and we cut away. But I think they, I think they tickled her. <laughs> I think you're right. I think it was definitely a tickle fight, uh, and you know that's where it ends. 
So the, the following day, the minister and the police, they go to the pavilion to look for her, and then they find her footprints and her handprint in the sand before they end abruptly. And then back in Kansas, her car is pulled out of the river, and Mary's body is in the front seat along the other women. So was she a ghost? Was she a zombie? Was she all of these things? Somehow she died and her soul also went out. Or, you know, it could have all been a dream. Did you ever have to read that short story, The Occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge? No, I have not. So this is like a high school English short story where it's like a Civil War soldier is about to be hanged. And just as the just as the rope drops, he has a vision of himself escaping and, you know, dodging the soldiers and making it home. And it's all very, very exciting. And then you realize when you get to the end of the story that this is all a dream that he has right before his life ends. Um, and, and it all happened like within the two seconds that he was alive and then hung. Hmm. And I, 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 I wonder if they're, they're trying to pull an occurrence on Owl Creek Bridge with this movie and, and making it this dream or this vision that she has uh, before her life is completely over. Or if we're really meant to assume that her soul, her lost soul split off and had all these interactions. Yeah, I don't know the technical readout of the film like that. I do, I mean, when you go through this guy's uh, filmography, let me see. Uh, The director's name is Herc Harvey. Herc, good old Herc. Yeah, good, strong American name. He's got like, why study science? Rebound, why study industrial arts? What about alcoholism? Make your home safe. What about school spirit? Manners in school, manners in public. So you can tell that he's got this kind of reefer madness-y kind of like morality tale short story thing. And this really does feel like like someone who went to Sunday school getting to, to write their own Twilight Zone for for like their college acceptance film or something it it feels like this is what could happen if you go to church but you don't believe in god you'd be (laughs) damned forever Uh, i resisted that interpretation (laughs) so much but with all the soul talk in this movie and the number of times that she says that she plays for pay uh Yeah, no, it definitely but, feels like you can't, you're not supposed to play your devil's carnival music. In the- <laughs> it, it, it feels like that's the guy who makes these movies, but he made this movie just going like, I wonder what it would be like to make a horror movie. I don't know. I've got a few grand lying around from all these industry jobs I'm doing. Let me just shoot. Cause that's what it, that's what. That's what uh, Wikipedia says, is that this guy was just happy doing all of his other jobs. He was in between jobs. He raised a couple bucks to make a feature. And it was all based on the idea that people are dancing in a carnival, like spooky people are dancing in a carnival. He said, wait, this is a great quote. Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay, so 
when I so here he says he says when I got back to Lawrence where he's from I asked my friend and co-worker at Centron Films John Clifford who was a writer there how he'd like to write a feature Uh, he recalled the last scene I told him had to be a whole bunch of ghouls dancing in the ballroom and the rest was up to him he wrote it in three weeks like (laughs) that's a good prompt because I feel like the dance scene is the main set piece right. and sort of the I think the climactic moment of the movie is when her the devil's playthings, her hands yeah. start playing the carnival music and we, we get into this scene of the ghost dancing and speeding up the footage and slowing it down, you know, makes it very eerie. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, even the fact that this is a feature feels like this is a guy who makes a bunch of... Yeah, this is a guy who makes a bunch of short films that aren't exactly narrative-based. So if he's going to make a narrative, he's going to want to, you know, it's kind of like Michael Bay. And like, while I've got the crew here, I might as well go overboard. Only when Michael Bay does it, he he does it for three hours oh my god <laughs> and we like don't need that much i like the schumacher version of overboard which is um where are the big hulking statues we gotta right. get those in stat this this movie could have used some big hulking statues um oh that is some schumacher statues would have made this great yeah but yeah this this feels like a guy who knows his way around cinema especially german expressionist cinema and Especially like German silent films. There's one movie, I think it was on M- Shudder. M- I, no, it was called Vampire. You ever see Vampire? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. It had the um, the original Nosferatu looking dude in it. Yeah, it's it's got a very Nosferatu e like. It, it's it's right alongside Nosferatu. It's this very well done, very cool. Uh, vampire silent movie. Um, But this movie has a lot of vampire feel to it. It has a lot of, I really liked the main actress. Um, Oh yeah. Blonde Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Candace Hilligoss. She's not in that movie. She was good in this role. I liked her a lot. I really liked it when they filmed her from profile or from an awkward angle that really brought out like her unique features and she's got some cheekbones. Yeah. And like when they lit her very well in terms of a horror movie, which means very like mysterious and dark and they use their shadows. Well, I thought she had a very mesmerizing face and I thought she really carried the movie well which worked better when she, you know, she didn't have to talk because there wasn't that much of a plot or script there, you know, like, but yeah, she, she makes, she, she does the hard work really easy. And then the easy work is kind of, you know, not, she, she doesn't have a lot to work with, but yeah. I, thought, I thought she was great in this movie. And uh, I agree with that. I, I think if there is one thing that like, if we're, talking brett territory one good thing candace gloss is the one good thing um and yeah yeah, they they filmed her beautifully yeah whenever they film her from just straight on or in a normal scene talking to like the the, what was his name freddy guy or whatever like 
it, that was totally uninteresting. And that's, I did not care about that at all. But when they filmed her, like just walking around a room with her big eyes freaked out that I was totally mm-hmm. into. Yeah. I uh, like when she looked at her hands, when she looks at her hands yeah. and realizes she has no control over them. And yeah, it was very eye, deep red. <laughs> like when the lady, the psychic lady at the beginning of deep red is kind of like, Oh, these visions are coming to me. <laughs> And it, I, I like that. Yeah, I like when characters are experiencing it with us. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, again, like, a lot of the early George Romero stuff had a lot of actors who weren't really actors. Uh, it, you know, a lot of people who weren't actors doing parts. And this movie Is she not felt, an actress? Uh, no, she was. She was an actress in some stuff, but also a model. But a lot of the side characters, <laughs> a lot of the characters who are just the townsfolk who are in it for like, you can tell those people are just like, you know, Hey, aunt Bessie, we need to film you scrubbing on this thing. And then looking up, pretend there's an organ. It's interesting. Okay. Go back down to scrubbing. Like, yeah, it just, it had this very homemade feel to it, which is, is, is the way to go with this kind of movie. Right. If this were super artsy with a super budget where they could have filmed like everything. Perfect it probably would have just fallen flat and empty. Yeah, I would I would not choose this movie for a remake. I don't think it's ripe for a remake. I don't think yeah. it needs one. Um, you know, it would have been terrible in color. I think a lot of the really interesting visual elements work because it's in black and white. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, this is kind of the best version of this movie that we could have gotten. And it's really cool that it exists, but yeah, I, I kind of was hoping for a little bit more based on some of the cult classic status. Um, but same, same. Yeah. Well, I guess that means we're ready for the question. (laughs) And I think I know the answer. Who did you have a crush on from Carnival of Souls? Yeah, definitely the main lady. Definitely Hilda Goss. Um, Mary Henry. Yeah, so just from that first shot we see of her from in the car, and it's like from the backseat, and she's looking over, and she's scared, and then she comes out of the car, and she's covered in mud. And I was like, honestly, if this is a slower movie where she's just walking around looking at stuff, I would be okay with that. And if you, and if you can have that quality, then that's, that's very crush worthy. Um, are you, are you officially crushing on, on Hillegas, Candace? Oh, Mary all the way. Yeah. All right. So how was, uh, making the rom-com version of, uh, Carnival of Souls for you? Uh, again, I was pitching more of a trailer in, for this one. Oh, that's right. That's right. Than than a movie itself. So sometimes they sometimes they just come to me, Shira. It's like I I it's like I'm not even writing it. It's like God is writing through me. Don't and you then, love that feeling? Oh I, yeah. I, I sometimes get that. Like sometimes I hit that sweet spot. Right. Um, but most of the time I, I really don't. And I but, I haven't had that in a while. I had that for the touch of mink 
um, <laughs> horror movie, and I had a, a little bit of it for this one. Uh, this one, the, the, these ones did not come to me right away. They did not even come to me where I could workshop them. I really had to force these ones out. But because of that, I do think I have a very cute movie here that we oh. can that we can remix Carnival of Souls into. I'm just going to go ahead and call this one Carnival of Smooches. Ooh, kissy kissy. Yeah, kisses. So this is going to be kind of like, I, I, I don't know. Part of me wanted to like, like the, the, the Tootsie Pop center of this sucker is like dark and, gr- and grim. Because this that is sounds like, like a, a German movie. Yeah, this is like a German expressionist movie. But then the more I started making it a real movie, I was like, the more candy I was adding to it. So just the bigger my sucker got. Um, this is going to be a movie about a little girl who gets cursed. And her curse is, so again, uh, my, my touch of mink premise for the horror version was anytime she has sex with someone, that person dies. For this one, it's the same kind of premise, but we're going to PG it up. We're going to rom-com it up. We're going to go into silly rom-com territory here, TM, rom-com TM territory, which is anytime she kisses someone, they get sick. Like physically ill? Like physically ill. Like they vomit? Yes. Like That's so very, sad. very sick. So she's cursed. She can't kiss anyone. And so... She, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Either either they get physically ill or they they die. And and so, so here here's here's where we need to take a little step in logic. We cut to thirty years later. Okay. Anytime, anytime she kisses someone, they die. This is what we've evolved to over the cut of thirty years later. That they not only get sick because she's gone through puberty and matured and stuff now her powers have morphed into them dying so now is poison now she is a spy and she uses her deadly power to seduce her targets and kill them however so we've got a little origin story right where she's got this like i rogue. Right. So she's like, I've been cursed ever since I was a little girl. Now I can't kiss people. So now all I can do if I want intimate affection is to kill people. And then the government betrays her and puts her on trial for all the murders that she did, because maybe it's like a new administration comes in. So they're like, oh, all these people you killed, those are all good guys now. So you're on trial. So because she's on trial, now she has to, just like in the horror version, she has to recount all of these experiences she's had and go through all of this trauma again. How do we make this a romantic comedy, you ask? That's my question. <laughs> this, is, this is where we layer on that candy coating. Uh, we give her a lawyer who is also a lady... So it's pretty, I just imagine Doris Day is the lawyer, right? Um, Two blonde women who hate having sex. Right. Mary Henry is the the spy and Doris Day is the lawyer. But as, as the lawyer starts to actually ask her questions and listen to her, she starts to develop feelings for her. And Mary, or um, yeah, the Mary character who can't, 
allow people to get close to her has to let her get close to her because they're working together to free her own name. So we have some gimmicks like maybe both of their parents died in a car crash. And so then we can have some kind of like scene where, you know, they, they both have trouble bringing it up or maybe they both have like a seatbelt scar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like where it's like, why do you have You're a an orphan? Like, oh, I'm yeah. an orphan. Our parents both <laughs> died in a car crash. <laughs> Oh God! So Martha, Martha, yeah. Why did you say that name? Uh, I like I like the internet meme joke of uh, Godzilla and King Kong are going to become friends after they learn that they're both their moms are named Mothra. (laughs) I love that. I was wondering thought of the trailer for that movie. I I I can't wait. I can't wait. the hairs on oh, your yeah. arm. Uh, so then we just have a scene where like maybe she she starts to play piano or an organ or something and you, you know she's normally not allowed to do that but then the the lawyer lady's like i used to play pianos then we get this like bigger stroker style scene where oh, it's yeah, like a stoker stroker scene yeah like playing piano together and it's real sexy uh dancing maybe because she likes organ but she can never get close to people she never allowed herself to dance so the lawyer like brings in smuggles in a cd or something and like plays music and teaches her how to dance and then you know so then we go to like touching and then you know they start to get closer and closer and then at the end we do some big reveal where it's like she has to she has to break the curse. The, the The government agrees that the only way they will not charge her with crimes is if she can break the curse. Whatever. The, the, the big thing is the lawyer ends up kissing her and then she doesn't die. And then it's like they were meant to be. True love breaks the curse. And then we can have a, a scene set up where maybe the the character at the beginning the mary character was like you know i went to a kissing booth one time at a carnival and i couldn't be kissed because no one wanted to kiss the girl when it was my turn there was no one there because no one wanted to kiss me because they all the boys would throw up because they thought i had cooties or whatever and so then when the the lawyer brings her home from prison they walk in and she's got like a carnival theme set up with a kissing booth. And she was like, you know, I don't know. She's like, here's $20. Let's call it for the night or something. And it's silly and it's sexy. I like the idea of them ending it at a kissing booth. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, somehow we're going to mix that idea of like killing people by kissing them with, Something super romantic. So, yeah, Carnival of Smooches. Why not Carnival of Kisses? Because Souls starts with an S and Smooch starts with an S. Ooh, or Carnival de Besos. Oh, <laughs> that sounds like a... That, that does sound like an actual... Uh, Pedro Almodovar's <laughs> Carnival de Besos. No, I was thinking uh, Tele Nevada. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Carnival oh, de Besos. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a Tele Nevada. Yeah. You you mean telenovela, Te- right? Telenovela, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That's why. I thought <laughs> I 
you should you should say that to Sonia. You yeah. know, Ella Nevada. <laughs> um yeah, I, I like it. I, I like that you you did um a female to female rom com. You 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 write some good female to female rom coms. I you know I'm I'm not saying that straight men should write all lesbian love stories. In fact, I would say most most lesbians should write lesbian love stories, but um I don't know. You you well, might sometimes. you might be sitting on a blue is the warmest color. You might have your own your own story inside you. But sometimes as someone who's been a valet at a hotel before, sometimes it's nice to get the car for someone else to drive. Mm-hmm, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I can pitch this for a real life lesbian to, to take over. <laughs> they can, I, I, I don't think I'd have the, the, the street cred to actually make this a movie. Well, you'd need some. You'd need to hire some people for um, sensitivity. Um, in uh, for novels, they call them sensitivity readers. So right. you would get somebody like if you wrote a lesbian romance novel, then you'd get a sensitivity reader who'd be able to tell you this is accurate, this is not accurate. No, we don't actually scissor. Um, things like things like that. Um, I, I'm sure that they have to have something like that for movies. And if they don't, they should. Yeah, uh, like consultants. I don't know. Yeah, sen- yeah, sensitivity consultant <laughs> who can actually tell you this is or isn't accurate. Um, yeah, no, I, I like it. So, uh, how about you? How did you fare turning this one into a more fun time? I had a lot of fun with this one because um, it, it uh, this will tie into my love bite later. But watching this movie made me think of a book that I'd read that takes place in a circus setting. Um, and I think that some might accuse me of writing a pretty similar pitch to the um, pitch I did for Midnight Meat Train. But... You will see that it's different by the time we get to the ending. Um, in the in that episode, I pitched a romance between people who were dead, essentially, and mm-hmm. in purgatory. This at first may seem similar, but I assure you, it's different. Um, so I decided to call my movie Soul Carnies for, yeah. uh, for, for, you know, lack of a better title. I think we might have to get some of those sensitivity people in here to discuss that term carnies. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I definitely, uh, carnies and anybody offended by this, please tell me the real story behind carnival workers. Are they all Irish travelers? Um, are they good people? I, I, I love to hear from you. Um, anyways, so Mary Henry, she's a church organist who doesn't have soul. She just does. She plays for pay. Um, and she she doesn't have any interest in faith. And, you know, she doesn't really like people that much either. But then one day she gets into a car wreck and it's ambiguous whether or not she makes it. Um Mary Henry then wakes up in a carnival and she starts wandering around, but this isn't like any other carnival that she's been to before because 
people appear to be wearing clothing of different eras. So maybe she passes by some Union soldiers and a lady who looks like Mary Antoinette and, you know, maybe, maybe some flappers. You know, it's just it's like a whole like mishmash of different eras. Um, and then she runs up to one of the carnies, uh, the guy who's basically running the darts and balloons game. Uh, and she's like, where the hell am I? Uh, and he's like, oh, you must be new here. I'm Lyndon. Uh, this is the Carnival of Souls. And Mary, she's freaked out. She's like, what is the Carnival of Souls? Am I alive? Am I dead? How did I get here? Um, Mary, she's freaked out. Um, Lyndon, he won't answer any of her questions, but he does tell her only lost souls come here. Uh, And then Lyndon takes Mary to see Mr. Crowley, the ringmaster slash leader of the carnival. And Mr. Crowley informs her that the carnival is a place for lost souls. Um, Mary is just freaking out. She's like, am I dead or not? Uh, And Mr. Crowley says, some souls are permanent residents. Some are not. Uh, Lyndon here, he's part-time. That's not helpful, Mr. Crowley. (laughs) Exactly. No, his whole purpose, Mr. Crowley's reason to art is to not be helpful and to be cryptic. Um, And then Lyndon, when it's revealed he's a part-time resident, he seems kind of embarrassed. Um, But Mr. Crowley's like, you know what, as long as you're here, work for the carnival, play the piano in the dance hall, and Mary accepts. So we'll say that the middle act of the movie is, you know, carnival shenanigans. Maybe we have some historical figures that they interact with, you know, because since every all of these lost souls come from all over, you know, there's bound to be funny little happenings. And meanwhile, as they're working together, Mary and Lyndon, they start to like each other. Uh, and then every day at sunrise, Lyndon says he has to punch out and then he leaves Mary and Mary, she remains at the carnival full time. So then one day Mary is feeling really depressed and she says, so I'm dead, aren't I? Uh, and Lyndon, he tries to reassure her, but she's really upset. Um, and then she asks him, where do you go? when you punch out for the night and Lyndon tells her, actually, I don't know. Uh, I disappear. Uh, The truth is that I only remember the time that I'm here with you. She's confused. He explains further. He says, if I'm alive and I'm not sure that I am, I have no idea what that person does when he's awake. I haven't seen the daylight in a long time. I haven't been able to go home. And she feels really bad for him. And so they they hug. And then he gives her the look. You know, the look that the guy gives the woman in the movie when he's like, I'm in love with you. Um, and he says, but for the first time, I haven't wanted to because I met you. And then they kiss. Uh, and so they stay together until it's time for Lyndon to go. And then this time she actually watches as he disappears. So maybe it can be really beautiful. The sun comes up and you, you see the sunlight through him and, you know, kind of like your name where he just fades away. Right. 
Um, and then later that night, Lyndon's not at his booth anymore. And then the next night, there's a new person there. And Mary realizes Lyndon is gone. So she goes to Mr. Crowley and he tells her, I got to thank you, Mary. I was really worried that Lyndon was going to become one of our permanent residents, but you really helped him find himself. And Mary starts to cry. She's like, what? That's it. He's gone. And then after a grave pause, am I a permanent resident? Crowley refuses to answer. Um, Mary feels really dejected, but then she finds a note from Lyndon in her room there are only two words, come home. Mary goes to sleep. Then she wakes up in a hospital bed. She learns that she's been in a coma for several weeks. She wasn't dead. She Aww. wasn't dead after all. Uh, and she asks if there have been any visitors. And the doctors tell her that this guy kept coming by every day, insisting he knew her, but her family who, you know, didn't know the guy at all, wouldn't let him through. So she walks into the hospital waiting room. She sees Lyndon there. She wakes him up. They hug. And she says, I got your message. Let's go. Aww. The end. That's nice. Yeah, that's like a while you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock plays someone who's sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Sandra Bullock could definitely do this version of Mary Henry. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Um, yeah, that's like a nice, that's like a nice movie. That's that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted Punch of Mink to be. Yeah, a nice movie about yeah. people who like each other and right. who aren't grossed out by physical intimacy. Yeah, and where the end is like, oh, good, they're together instead of. Oh, why are why? they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. I'm glad. All right. Housekeeping. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as Gmail at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate us, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Yes, judge us. We need your judgment. Yes. Um, what is it that Judge Tread says? Well, he says a lot of stuff. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. Judge his... jury executioner. I don't know. Yeah. Mama's at the law. I am the <laughs> law. <laughs> yeah, I do love when people say I am the law. Oh yeah. Uh, all, all right, let's let's get into our love bites, our recommendations for the week. What do you got Ooh. for us? All right, I'm going to go down the path of Shira and say I don't know if I've recommended this one before, actually, or not. But I'm just going to recommend one that kind of fits the theme and the the. <laughs> When we were watching, when Sonia and I were watching that Touch of Mink, I had three references to the movie Dark Man. One is <laughs> Cary Grant brings her up to the top of a building that's not finished yet, and they will like walk around on the girders, and that's in Dark Man. Fight at the top of a building that's not finished yet. Two, she's got all that stuff on her face when she breaks out in rashes. So it made right. me think, yeah, just wrap that face up like Dark Man. And three, Sonia said this movie was only 90 minutes, which is a good 
length for this kind of movie. And I said, this movie was not 90 minutes. It was 99 minutes, which is exactly how long Dark Man's Mask <laughs> lasts in the light. So uh, I think tying it now to Carnival of Souls, the most ultimate, absolute, best carnival scene in any movie has to be from Dark Man. Uh, me and my brother quote it all the time. Now Sony and I quote it. Like if if you were a fly on our wall and you were just listening into our conversation and all of a sudden you heard me yell at Sonia, just take the fucking elephant. You'd probably think that we were a crazy couple, but that's just Dark Man. That's and- okay. We live on searching <laughs> for Bobby Fisher references. That's, uh, that's Liam Neeson's romantic pitch. That's his romantic love line to uh, Francis McDormand in Dark Man. Uh, it's, a, it's a great movie, man. Uh, Dark Man is top-notch. Sam Raimi at his best. Liam Neeson tearing it up. What a good movie. Best carnival movie or best carnival scene in any movie. I'll put, I'll put my money down. I'll put the chips down. So how about you? You said you had a book, a carnival book? So there is a book called The Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern, and it is a book, uh, it's a kind of a fantasy book about a circus that travels and it only appears at night and it is a magical circus and also the playing ground for uh, essentially a, a psychological chess game between these two old wizards and their protégés, a man and a woman. And wouldn't you know it, these two who are pitted against each other fall in love. Uh, just like Ray and Kylo Ren <laughs> uh, in, in a lot of people's imaginations. Right. Um, yeah, the two people on opposite sides very good at magic, investing in creating this really incredible night circus. Uh, and then it, it just, it's a, it's a really good book. I think it's a book that is appealing to people across ages, across genre interests. I'm pretty sure that it's going to be adapted into a film at oh, some point. Like it, yeah. um, but if you are into the idea of magical night circuses uh, and mat- and just magic and, and romance, it's an excellent book. All right. The Night Circus. Mm-hmm. I think sounds you like a like fun it. place. Yeah, it sounds good. All right. Well, I guess that's the end for this carnival. Soul you later. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, terrible. No. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.